Hello and welcome to Happy Times and Places, a Doctor Who commentary podcast in which I, Toby Haydock, have been set the task of watching an episode, commentating along to it, and seeing if I can guess what my special guest's favourite thing about the instalment is. Hello Toby, as requested, here are five things that I like about Remembrance of the Daleks from 1988. Hello everybody, I hope the time and the place you are in are both very happy indeed, and that the next half an hour or so do nothing to alter that state for the worse. It's Remembrance of the Daleks, Episode 3. The person you heard introducing it uh, was Charles Norton. Did not give his name. Well, he cannot remain incognito. He is a producer on the DVD and Blu-ray range, mostly the Blu-ray animation range, really. He did the uh, the Shard and... Uh, uh, the Macra Terra and, uh, and uh, he's, yeah, he's worked on quite a lot of them uh, and uh, overseen uh, the extras and things like that. So Power of the Daleks as well. Um, and he's a very interesting chap who goes goes into the minutiae of research that uh, I wouldn't think of doing. He's very good at, uh, you know, you can ring him up about uh, what might have been in the corner of the studio that you know, what what shape the radiator was or what cable was coming out of the floor or whatever, and he'll probably know uh, and probably know the reasons why. Uh, Doctor Who fandom is made up of all sorts of people who have their particular areas of interest and skills, and some people see things that I am blind at, you know, as I say, sort of technical things and, you know, which, which cameras are what or, you know... Uh, uh, you know, how that particular piece of technology works and affects that. Whereas some people don't recognise one actor from another, whereas I, <laughs> that, that, that seems to be the language I speak. I can, you know, in a, in, a, in, a, in a crowd full of actors, I can spot one that was in something else or I have retained some sort of information about who that guy was and uh, what, what, where that woman, you know, was was last seen in a theatre or whatever. Uh, so we all we all and some people, you know, know which materials costumes were made out of, and you know, very uh, have then have the practical application to be able to re, you know recreate that or make their own version or whatever. And you know, it's great, isn't it? It's a fertile ground. I, what I love about it is that you know you can sort of dive in and. Uh, uh, and, and emerge wherever you like, really, with with, uh, with very different experiences. Um, and we all have uh, we all have little rabbit holes we disappear down. And uh, and some people just enjoy it um, because it's a fun program that they like watching. I think most people might be happier. <laughs> good luck to good luck to them. Unfortunately, I've not been constructed like that. So I'm about to watch an episode of Doctor Who for the one billionth time and to scrutinise it and try to find meaning and remember things and hopefully try to entertain you by saying interesting things about it and mostly, of course, as is the uh, raison d'etre of this particular podcast, I'm going to try to accentuate the positive uh, because the, um, I'm just a bit fed up of people being... Um, miserable not about Doctor Who there's loads of positive Doctor Who podcasts out there that are lovely but uh, uh, just uh, uh, you know I've just uh, just been browsing Twitter and it's so easy uh, to see people you know to, to, to fall into that trap of you know people um, engaging in grievances and tit for tats and anger and I understand it's cathartic but it doesn't do me any good I don't think um, so I just want to hopefully put a bit of positivity out of there out there because um, 
I, I'm, I'm not, I can't really do any, anything else. There are other people, I can understand, I think you're entitled to go on Twitter and get some grievances out if you've just built a shed or lagged a pipe or, um, you know, invented a thing or, you know, done a hard day's work in retail or whatever. I, I just talk for a living, so I may as well, I may as well talk nicely, I think is, is the general idea. And I'm going to talk about episode three of Remembrance of the Daleks. And I'm going to press play in three, two, one. Now, this is one that has a bit of a personal thing going on with it, which I will reveal. Now, I was my I was quite lucky when I was young in that um, uh, although my parents split up when I was four, uh, all my grandparents survived. Now, my dad's parents kind of dropped us like a hot brick as soon as my dad uh, uh, went off. But uh, that's not what this is about. Uh, we, I, I still had both of my uh, my mum's parents. And uh, unlike a lot of my friends at school who seem to have lost um, grandparents quite early, and you only have to watch sort of old films and go, I wonder how, you know, when did he die? Oh, gosh, he was 60, which was considered old or whatever. I had grandparents into their 70s. But this, my granddad uh, died, I think, in the week between episode two and three. So actually, my video of this, because I watched this in Newbury in Berkshire, where my grandparents lived. So I was, I remember watching this at my well now my just my nan's house because my, my granddad was dead with various family members around so my friend Andy had taped this for me uh, and he taped it on a different machine he hadn't taped it and then and, and then copied over because we knew that would lose a generation and when, when you were taping off air I mean this was priceless and this was only the second season I could tape off air and I'd got good tapes to do it and um but he taped it on a different machine from my machine. So it always, it, this episode has always had a slightly fuzzier quality for me. And a little line down the side, I think it was a particular um, trademark of his recording heads or whatever. I love, uh, I love the doctor's delight that the thing has worked. That is brilliant. <laughs> and great, fantastic explosions in this story. It is a story of some fine explosions. Uh, and I do love Mike's machine gun. Um, all of that stuff's done very well. So, um, so yeah, this 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 episode, um, yeah, comes at a uh, was was a strange one for me because the loss of my first sort of relative and grandparent death death of. As I say, we'd had sort of you know family being wrenched apart and all of that, but uh, but death had not touched us uh, in that way. So, um, and it's odd now because. He was seventy-seven, which now you'd think of as being quite young. But he, I mean, he had one lung. He'd had polio. He'd uh, been through the wars. I mean, literally. Uh, well, certainly one of them. Uh, uh, and a, you know, a very interesting, fascinating man. And um, but very much, very reserved. You know, wouldn't talk about stuff and emotions, and you know, never talked about of that generation that never talked about things that bothered them, and if they didn't approve of stuff. They were just sort of a bit you know, grumpily dismissive of it. And I suspect he was probably quite difficult in many ways, but he was a man of firm principle. Uh, and uh, I remember my my poor uncle, who's, who's, gosh, who's now getting close to 77 himself, and he's much younger and cooler, um, you know, being being so sad because he was about to have a, his first kid, and he said, you know, he'll never live to see my my child and that child is now in her 30s my goodness anyway time 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 yes and that is all of course because this was nostalgic uh for 
um, an unearthly child and the start of Doctor Who, which was 25 long years ago. And of course, this, as I record this, uh, it's it's 35 years ago. So it's, my goodness me, time you are a cruel, cruel thing. I hope there are young sort of fans who've come to the series from the new series who watch this stuff uh, and love it and to whom this has a sort of charming nostalgia all of itself but to me this is quite this is quite modern doctor who <laughs> and i think it does look good i i uh i i do enjoy sylvester's costume apart from the from the jumper so in shots like this i think he looks magnificent i love that hat i love his scarf and the tie uh uh you know the sort of splashes of color on the on the cream and beige i think this spaceship set is great actually martin collins design work i think is excellent in this story i think and i think we were used to spaceships of a certain kind this one has sort of gaps in it where you know they've darkened it off and sort of leaving a bit to your imagination and they're going for a sort of light show rather than you know panels and um control banks and all of that and i think that's a a, a wise move and a laudable attempt to do something very different to give it a, a different sort of visual schematic if you like um credit to um uh pamela salem and uh and karen gledhill as well i think they do a good job as these two characters um pamela salem i've actually uh yes i have encountered her she's she's a very nice lady she's very uh, polite and charming and she's got a wonderful diction and that lovely voice and she gets a spark in her hair there uh and i oh i was so happy when that uh that baseball bat was destroyed now again i don't know what my hang-up was as i said i didn't i didn't really like the sort of noise in the comic strip sort of um uh uh, uh you know spark uh that surrounded it but i like that bit where he makes them shut their mouths. i think that's quite fun and i actually i think having a baseball bat toting young female companion is it's great fun. I don't know what was wrong with me. George Sewell was a mighty, mighty actor. Um, and I think he moves up the credit for this credits for this particular episode because I was quite surprised he was touted as a bit of a guest star. And he's, 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 he's actually quite low down on the credits. I'm currently watching him also in um, uh, oh, Omega, you see on the gravestone, in uh, Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy, which is, oh, a masterclass in acting. I mean, it's, it's, it's gorgeous. Um, but the plot is basically lots of people talking in a room. Uh, the plot is who's the mole. And the way that Alec Guinness's George Smiley finds out is to ask lots of people in various different rooms. Um, hi, Paul and John. Um, uh, but George George Sewell, I think, is such a terrific actor. And I'm glad that uh, he ended up doing a Doctor Who um and he he uh i think oh, was it after this he ended up being the boss in uh, the detectives which is jasper carrot and uh, robert powell series but it was in ufo and but you know he was one of joan littlewood's but he was one of those guys in the 60s with his sort of pockmarked face and his naturalistic delivery who uh you know who suddenly started appearing in a, quite a revolutionary way on television and and changing the way that acting was was done on television and there was a naturalism to them um that sort of broke broke the mould a little bit people like him and Glyn Edwards um, and uh, a, a lot of those sort of real looking character actors um, he's great George Sewell so I'm glad he did a Doctor Who um, that's now I was not hired I was drafted that's a bit of an echo of um, of the line in uh, 
in MASH, isn't it? Which is the great anti-war film that, uh, you know, has so many brilliant lines uh, about, um, uh, you know, the 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 uh, the contradictions of morality and war and has that great cynical sort of sardonic wit cutting through it. Uh, and, you know, I think they, they say of somebody, don't they? How did a man like that, uh, uh, you know, how, you know, how, yeah, how was, um, who... Why did why did he join up? Well, I didn't join. I was drafted. He didn't join. He was drafted. Whatever. Um, it's better in the film. That's watch the film. Um, but anyway, I think that's an echo of that, which is also an echo of a. There's a similar exchange in uh, in the Ice Warriors. So it's um, yeah. I remember this shot in particular with with him against the white sky was not great on my on my video version. It's nice to see it all. Uh, it's it's funny how a, a really bleached sky doesn't actually do videotape an awful lot of favors it can it can suddenly make it look somehow not as good as that stuff that i think was shot on a different day or certainly in different weather conditions in the episode before with um dursley mcclinden and uh, michael sheard which looked absolutely fantastic but that slightly bleaker colder sky um and it suddenly has the hue of um yeah look it, it's not great on the lines around the heads it's it suddenly is where videotape, which has a, a sort of crispness and a, and a clarity that can be very helpful, suddenly looks a little bit corporate video, suddenly looks a little bit, dates it slightly in a way that stuff on film doesn't so much and stuff actually, as I say, shot on other days does not. Um, and this is the this is the episode, isn't it? It's, uh, um, it's here that we have the uh, reference to Professor Bernard Quatermass, um, uh, it's not happening right now, but it happens in this episode. Um, I wish Bernard was here. The Rocket Group's got its own problems, is it now? Um, I wish Bernard was here. Yeah. Now remember that that didn't actually um, make sense to me at the time. Had had I watched Quatermass in the Pit by then? Maybe I had. Maybe I hadn't. No, I don't think I had. But I just remember thinking it was. It was a lovely, realistic line that they're, they're, you know, they have a life outside of this. So it's one of those very good um, references. You know, it's a lovely in joke if you get it. But if you don't get it, you go, oh, these two know each other. They've, they, you know, they, 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 they work somewhere outside of this, and they have things that could be useful to them that we might not see, which just kind of makes it realistic. Not everything's relevant to the plot, but it sort of helps uh, to complete the bigger picture. I'm trying to resist using the word verisimilitude because I get into trouble. Uh, <laughs> but with uh, Stephen Schapansky of Radio Free Scarrow and I'm sure uh, uh, some other friends of mine uh, when I use the word verisimilitude, which I've now used twice. Um, uh, I, I like the fact that Ratcliffe is still referring to him as uh, as my man, uh, even though we, we we know he's the traitor. It's like, yeah, I'm just I'm st I'm still going to refer to him obliquely just to keep it a bit of a surprise. But that that is a that is a very nice. Uh, it's still it, it's creepy because because when they come out and you get a little bit of the rattle, there's a little bit of a rattle of the music, and I don't know. It's still it makes you sort of go, oh, Mike. Um, and I love all this action stuff of setting up the sandbags and the. Obviously, oh, initial. There's a there's a soldier there sweeping up. Uh, <laughs> you're you're broom duty, son. Um, but all this busyness is very nice. And Doctor Who with the military is, you know, it's I, I it's it's a thing that works. You know, what is it's first saw it in the war machines, and then of course it becomes, uh, you know, part of the show in the seventies. But and I think it's because the Doctor is 
so non-militaristic and as a as a writer you know it means you can have your cake and eat it you can get somebody doing all the blowing stuff up and and then do your you know uh liberal peace sticky stuff of going i don't approve of this blowing up but when it's useful for the plot it's very very helpful um which you know which which means that of course um people can interpret the show in in different ways um and as i've said before on these you know i have i have friends who are writer of right of center which i am not who sort of go well you know the the, the doctor is you know very much somebody who you know sees something he doesn't like and has, has it wipe, wiped out but you know doesn't get his hands dirty and gets other people to do it um uh, this now that oh he's so good oh he's so good at that when he does the we and the they and that sort of little enigmatic ghost flits across his face he's so good at that stuff Sylvester McCoy and I I quite like I quite like it when there's a sort of suggest I I think it was an interesting thing to sort of play with I prefer my doctor to just be a person a person without any particular um, great skills without who has not had any power who is just somebody that through wit and invention and you know um a, a decent moral compass uh, uh is is do it do it doing their best and, and 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 does their best sometimes you know in very trying circumstances and through a bit of uh, potluck and no shortage of wit manages to save the day because i can't identify with somebody who's all powerful I can identify with somebody that's muddling along and doing their best and trying to do the right thing and not always getting it right. Um, but I, th oh, I remember that shot and that, I love this, uh, this Dalek livery here. The, 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 the glossy black Dalek is an absolutely fantastic move. And again, an attempt like this, um, like this attempt to make the doctor, you know, perhaps some sort of key time Lord figure, uh, which is an attempt to, you know reinvigorate the mythology i think you know the timing of this is absolutely fine even though my taste is more towards he's a you know he's a he's a bit of a bumbler this um this this black dalek and 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 you know there's there's been factions of daleks before but in but 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 again this attempt to um you know really um reinvigorate it and and to use that to its advantage go well we have these two different factions because and of course because they're um, you know, because they're into racial purity, they don't like each other. That's a very clever um, development, evolution of that that Dalek mythology. And to throw that into the mix, these different liveries that they have. Um, as I say, I'm not I'm not I'm not wild about the cream and gold, but I, or I wasn't at the time. I'm actually quite liking it in this, watching it now. But I love that black one. I think that black one just looks incredible. It makes you go, why haven't they painted them all gloss all of the time? I remember this being a real shock because you were thinking that this was Davros, um, and and there was a rumor that Davros was appearing. Now we already knew that it wasn't going to be Davros because Roy Tremelli was. Uh, credited as the Emperor Dalek, who we saw, who's the Emperor Dalek with the TV Dalek sort of big dome kind of thing, TV comic Dalek big dome thing going on. I mean, so many things sprinkled in here. That Emperor Dalek that I was talking through before with the dome, uh, like in the comic strips, absolutely gorgeous, um, uh, uh, was credited in the Radio Times as Roy Tremelli. And, you know, one was on the lookout for um, anagrams, uh, and so, you know, 
the, the I'd love to say I worked it out. In fact, a friend of mine did and said, oh, have you noticed, of course, Roy Tremelli, it's Terry Malloy. And I went, yeah, I hadn't. I had to get it pointed out. Now, these things, I love this thing. I had one of these once. My mum gave it to me for Christmas one year, not knowing that it had been in Doctor Who, actually. And it was a really fun thing. But it was it, this was slightly scuppered because it was already on a Noel Edmonds quiz show thing. So it was a it was a kind of existing prop. Now, Doctor Who in those days, you know, it had to it had to get stuff that was available a lot of the time. And it's a funky looking thing. Unfortunately, it has an association with something else. They wobble about a bit, don't they, these Daleks? Um, but it's great seeing them on a on an earthly street. You you can see you can see that one in the reflection of the window moving really slowly. Um, I love seeing these two scampering about the, the the Doctor and Ace because they've got such a they've got such a great rapport that they they, they even have it when they're not saying anything. Um, but yes, the ti- the time controller was in a Noel Edmonds thing, so it, it was already a known quantity. So unfortunately, that destroys it a little bit. Interestingly, it doesn't really now. I mean, we know of those things, but we know of lava lamps. And I think you have a kind of a kind of cognitive dissonance when you're watching The Prisoner and go, well, that's a lava lamp. You go, yeah, but it's also a funky 60s blobby thing. Um, so so maybe time has been a bit uh, kinder to the time controller. Mine got broken when I moved to to London and was was unpacking. Anyway, you don't need to go into the history of my, my damaged, my broken ornaments. But yeah, I did have one, but it didn't survive the test of time um uh i always thought it was because because tip tipping soldier had when he'd been exterminated had been flown backwards i always thought it was slightly wrong that these these uh these builders of recliffs had died on the spot um and that they should sort of be all be mangled up against the wall uh <laughs> should have probably been pretty horrible um but yes we never the daleks never there's there's, there's never been time to do that effect uh of of the soldier in episode one uh, which is which is fine because you do a kind of it's 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 like many things with with tele- television at the time, at the time they, they might show you something once and then you you have to kind of assume that that happens every time something happens you know even though it happens the rest of the time out of shot um uh, but of course, I mean the the continuity of this is slightly uh, well. It's it's the real difficulty, isn't it, of going well? We'll you know we'll tie this up with the past to reward long term fans. But of course, um, when the Doctor meets the Daleks in the second story, it's the first time it's happened, and he doesn't know anything about them. And now we're supposed to believe that four weeks earlier uh, he was uh, he was laying a trap for the creatures he'd never met before. Um, which is, you know, it means that continuity can be a poison chalice because you're going, oh, yeah, fans, we're going to talk about the old days. But then if you don't get it absolutely right, like spelling Foreman, right, uh, or doing the correct French Revolution book or actually <laughs> acknowledging the correct timeline of the series, uh, fans can get furious. I mean, watched in isolation now. uh <sighs> I mean, I th- I think at the end of the day, you just you just allow it to happen, or you don't really. I I I, I don't get much pleasure having to sort of. I can find reasons. I'm sure I could find reasons if I wanted to, but I I, I have to say I much prefer just taking a story on its own own merits really of course unless it's a story i don't like and then i get furious with it but you know i could take the deadly assassin mucking about with what the time lords had been like because the deadly assassin is brilliant uh, i i wanted to be cross with modern doctor who so the the 
the lack the, the continuity mistake was a stick I wanted to beat it with. I have to say, slightly different to Deadly Assassin, which was deliberately trying to ruffle some feathers because uh, he's he's funny, he's old Robert Holmes, and he's a he's a you know he likes messing with things. I love the way these two run. I don't know, it's brilliant. Uh, <laughs> M- 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 McCoy is a very good r- r- runner. I d- yeah, I, 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 that said, I find the umbrella stuff a bit irritating. Um, uh, but he's very good at holding onto his hat and sk- scarpering. <laughs> he's a scarperer, uh, and I like scarpering. It, it reminds me, scarpering is something people don't really do anymore. It's like um, it's like having a catapult at school. I mean, which I mean, you would think is deadly dangerous now and a very serious offence. In the seventies, it had a certain sort of rapscallion's charm about it. Um, it's a, yes, yes, yesterday's peskiness is today's. Uh, uh, feral feral youth uh, maybe that's just maybe that's just me as i get older uh i i i i, I find uh bad behavior absolutely the, the, you know the, the the heralding of the end of civilization rather than schoolyard pranks uh maybe that's just a natural process that one goes through um, but I love all of this, uh, the doctor with the military, the, the doctor in the 60s. I know Charles talked so eloquently about why the, the 60s was such a good setting uh, in episode one, and I talked less eloquently about it in episode two. Um, and doesn't he do, he does a real doh uh, mo- moment in a minute, doesn't he? Uh, it's it's a bit like the bit in the Keys of Marinus where the guy goes... How, I'm going to tell you. I'm going to say something really obvious that makes it clear that I'm I'm in league with the murderer, um, uh, and and he does that kind of now, uh, but um, which which I mean, it, but oh, do actually it's not it's it's not as it's not as bad as some examples of that kind uh that uh that you you have in in dramas and actually it's 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 important that it that it happens at this moment because it's it's not just the oh he's revealed that he's a bad guy uh it's that uh it's the betrayal of ace and he just invited her out to the pictures uh that's is that a bren gun remember my action man had one of those and they're pretty cool uh, and I think somebody's about to be shot and do a bit of a somersault. Yeah, look at that. Love all of that. Tip tipping uh, uh, is the is the stuntman. Um, that's not one of the most successful effects of the episode. It's sort of slightly two dimensional uh, craft there. But um, I think visually this is so ambitious. And I think the schoolgirl with the with the motorcycle helmet and the Dalek ion is is such a great sort of Doctor Who image. Uh, and I think she does it well as well. I like the way she does the eye. She's uh, she's brilliant. Jasmine Brakes as a schoolgirl. I wish uh, she is the daughter of an actor called Sebastian Brakes, uh, who is in uh, who is in an Out of the Unknown episode, um, and uh, um, which I hadn't hadn't known at the time. I didn't know his work really until I started doing Out of the Unknown for the for the DVD of that. Uh, and and I was like, oh, Sebastian Brakes, blah blah blah, and then. Andrew Morgan mentioned that she would Jasmine breaks, Sebastian breaks. I went, oh, great. Of course, it all it all links together. Um, oh, oh, gosh, it's near. Oh, yes, it's near the end of the episode because, she, she, yeah, she walks in. Rachel walks in at the beginning of the episode. So this is brilliant. Uh, this this is an absolutely fantastic uh, effect. 
Um, the fact that it's a practical spaceship, the fact that it's a load of skips stuck together, I don't care. Um, the fact that it breaks the window, it's that sort of attention to detail that I don't think you always get with Doctor Who and you can't always afford with Doctor Who. I think having the smoke coming out of the bottom, I think having it smash the windows. Uh, I'm, sh I'm sure I had relatives. And in fact, I did have relatives uh, watching that. Uh, it's a bold move, actually, to end on a joke as well. Uh, <laughs> it is a bold thing. See, Ratcliffe's up the credits. Um, it's, it is a big... I hate the way I said that. I said that like an absolute effing geek. And Ratcliffe's up the credits. I'd God. This is why I don't listen back to anything I ever do. I, 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 I sympathise with you. I mean, I'm doing this. I obviously assume people want to listen to this. And yet... I, Eight. Uh, everything I say and how I say it. Ah, uh, oh, Shirley Coward, the vision mixer. She was the vision mixer on the 10th planet, on the first regeneration, and she died last year. Uh, Shirley Coward, she was a name that I saw on lots of... She was, she was a vision mixer on Blue Peter quite a lot, I think. And I quite liked seeing her name on Doctor Who and going, oh, I've seen her name on other stuff. Um, and, but, I mean, I have to say, I love the, 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 the you know, the, the, the heftiness of these credits, the fact that you get a chance to read them all oh it's delicious now listen um uh what was i saying i was talking about yes i was watching i was watching this at home not at home at uh, at my nan's house with family because i remember my m let's call her my aunt my, she wasn't married to my uncle at the time but you don't you're not researching my family tree um uh, uh and they were the london they're the london people my uncle john who's uh I say none of my family were in show business. My uncle was a was a, a, a film editor, um, but um, he never introduced me to anybody. I remember he was once in a lift with Tom Baker, which was I was very impressed by. But he he edited um, you know, pop videos and things like that, and and he worked. He was an assistant editor on a couple of the Monty Python films. But he'd sort of gone away to London, uh, and and he was the you know the closest we had to anything sort of spectacular. Um, and I think he he once said he knew somebody called Sally who was in Blake Seven, and I remember being very impressed with that. Which turns out Sally Nevet. Um, uh, and uh, and and I've since I think now have a connection to every single one of the regular cast of Blake Seven through people I know or friends of friends. It's really weird how that's happened. But let's not get into that. Um, <laughs> but yeah, because because we can go down too many different paths some people like that i'm sure and those that don't have probably stopped listening by now because there have been many episodes anyway stick to the point which is what was i to write so we were watching i remember watching at my nan's house and it was it was one of those occasions where of course we had to watch with people around and it wasn't actually a very big living room uh and i remember my my uncle's partner gabby who uh not in the business but graphic design but but a sort of london sort of they're london people uh and and with that and that has the and, and london will always seemed a bit sort of cool and a bit metropolitan i remember when we went to see uncle john we went to the cinema we never went to the cinema and and you know and and, and it, oh, it was you know it was a different life um but they, they could also be quite sneery about stuff and obviously as i've got older i i see that in a lot of people um a lot of metropolitan intellectuals he said suddenly sounding like the daily mail which i don't mean to at all uh, i i love metropolitan intellectuals but i do sometimes wish 
they they liked stuff a bit more and i count friends of mine amongst this who has sort of always assume that what something an actor's done has been a mistake rather than a choice who always assume that um when a writer's put something that has that's not necessarily logical it's a mistake rather than a touch of reality or that the writer doesn't necessarily think what the person that there's all of you know i i always sort of go in i always assume the best of the people whose work I've chosen to give my time to watching, um, and uh, but 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 I, I soon I, I, you know it's, it's, as as I've got older I've realised oh gosh my my you know there there are sort of metropolitan intellectual friends of mine who actually sort of think most things are a bit crap and I don't want to be that and I love my uncle uh, and. Uh, uh, and and that side of the family and they're really interesting very funny uh people but but john likes you know for, he likes foreign films he's quite he's quite he you know he, he's quite arty he likes the sort of you know, and he knows his film because he's a film editor so he's watched all the Truffaut and all of that sort of thing and has has uh, you know he that's the language he speaks is sort of quite sort of intellectual thoughtful as i'm no i'm much more sort of populist me maybe but it doesn't but i think that's i think and i think you know artistic stuff is great uh and i sometimes wish i i spoke the language of that stuff a little bit better but i also think populist is really hard to or popular is really hard to do especially clever popular now populist i think can be quite easy and you can get away with doing some stuff that's actually not very high quality and that's actually a bit sort of thoughtless and not very good and, and get lots of people watching it but to get people watching something that's a bit different and a bit crazy and has like robotic 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 motorcycle helmet helmet wearing half dalek schoolgirls uh and a treatise about um uh racism and you know alien creatures that are metaphors for fascism but that also then reflect back on the problems within our own society and how we're perhaps not as um f far away from those things as we might think ourselves to be and have it all in an adventure with soldiers and explosions and and a character who's very serious and brooding but also really really funny and can scamp around london holding his hat and making sure it doesn't blow off in the wind and with his with his sort of delinquent companion uh who's got her own troubled backstory but is plucky and exciting and fun you know i, I don't think that's easy i don't think that's easy uh and uh, and i remember M gabby saying when it was the scene when ratcliffe uh was in the in the graveyard instead of going oh it's that fine actor george sewell i think he had a line where he said something like come on lads put your backs into it which is a sort of nothingy line that that sort of gets us from a to b and it and it and it stops it being a quiet scene and it just you know it, it emphasizes who's in charge and blah blah, blah. It's, not, it's not much of a line but it's not and just going oh god who writes this terrible dialogue and i'm going that's the bit you notice that's the bit i mean it's not even worth commenting on it's not not every line is a gem and not every line has to be a gem sometimes stuff just has to be texture or or you know some, something for the ears something to move you along something to uh, uh you know bolster it up or uh, or stop the being a lull or just to fill the scene a little bit um uh, and and i just remember thinking why would it even occur to you for for that to be a bit to talk about when also when there's so much else going on uh and I'm sh and I'm pretty sure they were um, they were also pretty dismissive of the spaceship because it looks like a few skips stuck together. But me, who's used to spaceships in Doctor Who, um, was going, it's solid. 
It's three-dimensional. It's clearly being sort of lowered down on a crane. This is Doctor Who uh, uh, being extraordinarily ambitious. And then, the, and I think when the glass went in, they went, well, that would have cut everybody to pieces. And I'm going, but they've gone to the trouble of breaking the glass because I think in those days still, and you don't do it now because everything has to be so realistic. I think in those days, one still admired when they made a scene more realistic than sometimes scenes like that were because they'd done a bit of attention to detail and they'd gone actually we're going to try not to make the audience um break the audience out of their spell or or, or we're going to try and impress them with a with a little bit of a flourish because that will perk them up that will make them interesting because the audience in those days was still we still sometimes had to join the dots if you like because you know it was it was you know three wall sets multi-camera all of that sort of thing and and even you know things like Juliet Bravo or whatever when people went outside you'd see a sort of you know piece of shrubbery and a, and a white studio sky and you'd sort of have to go I'm accepting that uh, they're walking out and then of course it would cut to outside and it would be on film and look completely different that was we 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 that was a pact that they made with us but but they but very occasionally they'd go but yeah we, you know thanks for doing that but we are we you know we're not going to rely on that where we can make the effort to sort of impress you and to go a little bit further we will do that and of course it's it's a thankless task if your audience is of a certain mindset because you do that thing with the glass and then somebody will go well that would have cut them to pieces and you go well why did i bother do you know what i mean and i find i sometimes find that when you when you write things or you put the you know you go well do you know what? if you're in a mindset to go it's like and it sometimes happens with stand-up where you, you know you get an audience it's a bit of a grind so you go all right i'll just i'm gonna stick in a gag here because this needs a bit of live and you will do a gag and they'll go oh yeah right and you go right so you, you you weren't going for the sort of for the slightly whimsical hopefully the slightly sort of charming storytelling i'm just trying to get you on board with you you want something a bit peppier so all right i'll do you a joke and you and then you get the oh is that just a bit of wordplay as if that's a that's a, that's a very london metropolitan thing as well i remember when i started gigging in london having cut cut my teeth here in manchester thinking well yeah but when i get to london because of how i say and because of how i speak and because of uh, you know i do clever jokes you know they'll love me in london and then you, you go to london and and, and going uh you, you know doing a joke i remember this comedy club that you know, it's a, it's a very good one, but I remember doing a, a, a off the top of my head, just doing a sort of a, a, a bit of a pun, just to you know, again get me from A to B, and getting a kind of oh, oh, you did some wordplay, and it's like yeah, you're at a comedy club. This is uh, such a thing is not beneath you, so you either come with me or you don't. But don't judge me as a stand-up comedian for for bunging in a gag, uh, because otherwise we're not going to get on. I I yeah, I think I don't I don't like being patronised. And I don't like, I don't like it when I'm with an audience, and they they patronise. They they kind of assume it's 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 the equivalent of you know folding your arms and sitting back in your chair and going go on then impress me. Screw you. Uh, no, come with me on a journey and I'll take you on a journey. But but and and do you know and Doctor Who they're doing its very best to 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 overcome its its budgetary shortcomings and in key areas going we're really pushing the boat out with this so come on you've got to go and meet you've got to go and meet it halfway now i mean i i, I don't think you could do that with television at all now because we're so much further away from the theatrical tr tradition that uh, um that television still had you know had, had it had its roots in then now you know everything has to be realistic um 
certainly on a on a on a sort of technical level we 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 don't accept stuff that isn't isn't technically realistic really um i, I i'm not sure what we've won there really i know it's not real uh you know we knew that wasn't real but you either you either take it on trust or or you don't and i i i think the makers of remembrance of the daleks deserved our trust because in key areas they're really pushing the boat out they've they've cast it well they've shot it well that the, the, the money seems to be far more on screen than it was just a year ago um and uh, it's nice that i can see it without a, a, it was a sort of green flat green line down the side from whatever it was with my friends my friends video it's just meant it was a slightly not as good a picture on episode three so i'm glad they're all uniform now although that 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 that, that image will still always be in the back of my head when i watch that episode it's funny isn't it the little uh there's there's various episodes that i watched when they were pirated where where you know bits would would do that um uh, and i now can't watch those episodes i think there's a bit in this space pirates where um donald g had a thing about um uh, i can't remember what the the line was now i'd know it if i was watching it and he says uh what it was it about clancy's ship or something like and 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 in my copy it would go what would you do to clancy's ship or war, war. and and now i can't what i you know when i watch that scene i can't i i still can't quite hear it without in the back of my head the 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 wobbly bit that goes all over the place where the picture judders and the and the sound goes all um so, so yeah there are there are certain there are certain episodes that i watched um that had you know tape faults or um, you know, breaks in quality or whatever that because uh, I watched them so many times back in the day, um, and these ones because, as I say, this was the first, the second series that I was videotaping live from home, and and my season twenty four, I'd got cheap tapes, and uh, they they yeah they they that was I remember regretting that, but uh, I'd actually got decent, I think BASF tapes, yeah. Uh, which had a silver box, and I did Letraset for the uh, for the lettering on the on the on the side. So I'd have my own. You know, the plan was to have my own. You know, uh, a library in 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 order with uniform uh, uniform s spines. But of course, I, and I think my plan was eventually to you know to get to get stickers because of course I had loads of different makes of videotape. Was eventually I think I wanted to get stickers that were all the same, and I just spent hours. Uh, you know uniforming my own collection but life got in the way video became obsolete and uh, now I mean the whole season will fit into a into a, into a tiny little box uh, which wouldn't need individual spines but I do miss those days of having my own spines that I put letter sets on and and, and then I then I started make then I got then I bulk bought some boxes and did my own covers and I had my own color scheme on the spines and for each doctor and they all matched I think I'll do a podcast about that that's not for now anyway uh I'm I'm I don't know sorry it's a nostalgic trip for me this one um uh god god bless your granddad uh he um he uh <laughs> he was a life he was a he was a printer he was one of I think 13 or 11 children uh, and they said he'd been to a special school he hadn't he was in a kid's home uh and uh he'd 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 been in the army uh, uh he was a teetotaler he'd stopped drinking because uh my grandmother was a methodist and said uh i'll only marry if you don't drink and um 
people did that so he just went all right and never drank again and she would occasionally have a glass of red wine or stones green ginger at christmas but he'd he'd made a promise and he kept it um he also had a weetabix for breakfast every morning uh, except for sundays when he had sorry two weetabix for breakfast every morning except on sundays when he had boiled eggs and soldiers uh, and that was his that was his habit except for when he was about 75 he looked at his two weetabix and said uh I'm bored of those. <laughs> and then had shreddies and had them every day of the week, except for Sundays. Uh, and his final act, um, I'm not padding here. I'm just looking for the um, for Charles's contribution because Charles is going to tell me what his favourite thing was. Oh, I've got to choose my favourite thing. Uh, but I'll finish this about Grand Pop because why not? Uh, he was a, a, a union man. He was a printer. Uh, died in the Wolf Socialist. Um who um, his final act was Margaret Thatcher was on Newsnight and he said uh, I've had about enough of that woman for one lifetime Uh, I'm going to bed and he went upstairs and he died Uh, and I just think there's something whether you know whether you're a a Thatcherite or not he definitely was not Uh, and I think there's something rather beautiful in in you know that 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 firm principle of his because he was a printing man as well I remember that uh, Thatcher destroyed the print unions to uh, to um, ingratiate herself and give great power to Rupert Murdoch who has changed the 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 tenor of our national conversation irreparably and I feel very, very badly. Uh, uh, but uh, he, you know, he was a great mouthpiece for her. So she, um, but, you know, we also have to be honest about the history and that the unions did did take the piss quite a lot. But nonetheless, uh, I I love the fact that, uh, that uh, yeah, my granddad was, was true to himself right to the end. Ha, ha, ha. Bless him. But yes, and the last time I saw him, I was on my way to a Doctor Who convention and I'd forgotten my tickets. That's right. And had to go back and get them and he was sort of mock grumpy about it and i felt this great affection for him he was quite a scary man and i sort of rubbed him on the shoulder and said see ya and uh, and i never did anyway ah oh, um and he was scary and he was you know he was quite scary. he wheezed because he only had one lung but he was a, a a great principled man um anyway oh ah oh. anyway um we will not see his like again very undemonstrative just got on with it uh who knows what was going on inside that head of his uh i did i was terrible now i think about it i asked him if he killed anyone because he fought in the war once and he just got his head down because he wasn't going there and i remember once i think i'd had i'd had a bit of a tantrum about something i think mum had been out of order but she made me go and apologize to him and uh i sort of went and apologized to him which is quite hard to do because i was a kid uh, and he sort of again he sort of went well you know just just didn't didn't rub it in didn't have a go and, and i sort of tacitly took from that i know where you're coming from lad they pushed you into that tantrum or i i don't know i felt i felt he'd given me a little bit of solidarity but he would never said anything like that but he was a very interesting man and uh, and would not talk down to you I, i'm sure i used to ask him really boring things uh, at night and he knew about all sorts of different things because he was from that generation he'd left school he didn't go to school i don't think i don't think he was i think he'd you know left school at 11 or whatever there but he did the crossword and he was and i think because he'd been denied an education he he was extremely well read and i you know and i think 
again i think back to those generations of people who didn't have the things that we had so therefore valued things like education and books and other people's opinions and you know and 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 rigor and uh different experiences uh and uh you know he was an extreme he had such a wide knowledge so i'd ask him about actors uh, and he knew about them even though he wasn't a theater person he wasn't somebody who cared about that sort of thing but he'd say, if i'd go doctor who have you heard have you heard of an actor called victor madden he'd go oh yeah he's got a chin and he'd tell you stratford johns you know he'd know because he just knew stuff because he read the paper he read the paper from front to back of course he did he was a printer he was probably looking for mistakes <laughs> anyway sorry that was my granddad edward george mister weird though had to call him joe didn't like the name edward there was something there had a very difficult childhood but you know they you didn't talk about stuff in those days now was that healthy or not i don't know i don't know different it's just different anyway what's my favorite thing about the first episode of doctor who that 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 was broadcast without my granddad in this world um uh sorry about that i hope that wasn't boring i'm not cutting it out though it's my podcast <laughs> uh it is what it is um uh it's funny how personal this show is isn't it it's it's a personal journey through life and every episode means you know to somebody somewhere time flight three is a great importance because it was the first time they lost somebody or the first time they fell in love or the first time they made a realization about life or just the first time they realized they fancied men in uniform <laughs> whatever whatever oh doctor who um so look what's my favorite thing about episode three now could it be the reference to professor bernard quatermass just because that is a very personal thing and because i love quatermass and because as i say i kind of like the line without really registering what it was referring to at the time uh is it is it the the sleight of hand or sleight of helmet ha! uh where the thing that you think is davros where because i love the john leeson voice as well as i love the bit in episode one where he goes um we must be informed of its movements and it does that slight <laughs> yeah i like that i like that noise uh, but it's a it's a great voice that leeson does that makes you think it's a sort of davrosy thing but it's not it's the husky faced the uh, squinty eyed washbish schoolgirl of death uh and i love that's a that's a great that's a that's a great surprise moment uh, unless you've had the surprise ruined for you because you know that it's davros inside the uh the tv comic-y type domed emperor dalek which is a great thing it's a new thing that spaceship design is terrific that spaceship landing is terrific the uh the the the, the, the shattering of the glass is terrific oh well do i say maybe maybe i have to do i say that maybe i have to say it's that it's that heft in the production um it's partially because it's a lot of it's on location but the design is excellent martin collins design is excellent they've tried to do different things they've tried to do a different kind of vibe 
for the for the Dalek spaceship interior. Doesn't look like any other spaceship in the series, really. And then that that juxtaposed with the with the nice recreation of the sixties, which is quite subtly done in places. And and obviously, I suppose one would say easier, but nothing's easier on television. But it's nice. It's nicely evocative, whilst also being you know of a recent past, while also being recognisable. But I just think if you compare it to everything the season before this story production wise looks a million dollars comparatively it's a it's a show that's confident it's a show that's having a go at being better at being a more solid production at, at expecting less of the, the you know the comic strippy stuff of season 24 is quite fun in retrospect it was embarrassing at time or it was for me at, at that age as I say I know for a lot of people for whom it was a lovely joyous breath of fresh air after an unnecessarily violent period uh, particularly season 22 so I, uh, I so yeah I, un I understand that as well but talking purely personally season 24 is as, about as low as it got for me and this just seemed so much more confident and and something that i could show my friends and something that i thought if the general public ha 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 whoever they were were watching would would actually look pretty good except of course we know that the general public say things like well but that glass would cut their faces uh, and all the things that, that that gabby gabby said um but i just think it's a confident confident well-mounted production so that the production values, the design, the solidity of the whole thing, the 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 attention to detail, that that attempt to make the the Dalek spaceship being solid, the glass blowing in, the the sets all being robust, uh, the location really helping with all of that as well. So I just think, can I say that just the sort of production, um, and and the sort of upward swing in quality from from you know from only a year before where it's a very different beast where it's where it's closer to sort of you know cbb's in C cbbc there wasn't such a thing but uh, you know it's closer to galloping galaxies than it was to um star trek whereas although star trek wasn't set in the six it, it seemed to me that remembrance of the daleks looked like it was closer to closer to grown up you know, proper proper telly, rather than I was having to make concessions because it was Doctor Who. Charles won't have chosen that. Um, I wonder what Charles will have chosen. Let's find out. Oh, it's a shame because I was because we actually agreed on the last one. But I, 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 well, I'll see because he might he might say something that touches upon this, and I might be be generous to myself. What does Charles Norton like about episode three? So, uh, moving on to episode three. And it's the spaceship landing in the playground outside the school um, at the uh, the end of the episode. And um, reasons for liking it? Well, obviously, it's a wonderful, big, dramatic moment in which a spaceship lands in the middle of a um, East London school. Um, but really, again, I think it's actually the way in which the moment is staged and the decisions the production team took the frankly bonkers decision the production team took to actually shoot it essentially for real. <laughs> if you were looking at that moment in the script, even now, I think if you're looking at that moment in the script now, um, your first thought would be that 
this is something we need to fake, um, either digitally or with miniatures. Um, obviously, we are not going to build a full-size spaceship and have it fly above a school and land in a school playground. That's, that would be lunacy. And that's exactly what they do. They actually build a full-size spaceship and lower it into the school playground on a crane. And it works really, really well. It feels visceral and real um, in a way that nothing else could. Nothing else could at the time, and frankly, probably nothing else could now. It, it, it really sells the the cliffhanger. The cliffhanger feels so much more more real and tangible and dangerous um, because of the way in which they chose to stage that moment. And um, yeah, it's um, it, it's something you actually you get quite a lot of in this story. I mean, there's famously a, a moment in um, I think it's in episode four where they um, they let off some uh, pyrotechnic charges. I think at the gates of the um, scrapyard, and <laughs> rather than use the sort of the minimum amount of explosive necessary to create a visual effect. They, they basically just built a massive bomb and let it off with such force that it vaporised the gate and ended up with the police being called. But, um, yeah, it's uh, it, it says a lot about their approach to this story. And um, it, it does feel... How can I put this? Um, it, it makes the story feel a lot more relatable, a lot more grounded than a lot of 80s Doctor Who stories would. Um, in fact, a lot of television science fiction would have done at the time. Um, the decision to go that that nuts and bolts, that, that basic and brutish with it, um, really does help a lot. Well, I'm having that. I, I think that we... We touched upon enough of the same things. What do you mean you don't agree? It's not up to you. Well, you, I mean, if you're keeping score, I mean, if you're keeping score, I don't want to get all Alec Guinness on you, but um, <laughs> please go outside and do something else. Never listen to this podcast again. No, I'm, no. But, but um, uh, I, I, think, I think I'm allowed that point, aren't I? If you disagree, tough. Uh, how dare my granddad's just died how dare you um no i think i think there was enough there and it keeps it exciting for the last episode doesn't it um i think i'm damn it yes i'm gonna claim this one because i, I think we we were pretty much enunciating the same things even though i fixed on a more general aspect and he fixed on a particular one but then i then i distilled it down to various things including that dalek spaceship whereas he you know fixated on the spaceship and then opened it out as it being an example of the things i was talking about so i'm taking that point um uh, i remember also i because i'm sure mary morris's uh panna from kinder's um obituary was in the guardian that week i, rem I remember reading it at uh at my nan's house and, and i've got a i wonder if she died on the same there's my granddad. I think I, I think I'd got the impression uh, at the time that she had. I remember, you know, you, you you get the little crumbs of comfort where you can. Well, at least he died on the same day as somebody that was in Doctor Who. 
uh, <laughs> uh, and I, it was always funny because I'd always, whenever I got hold of a, you know, a newspaper, because we, because we only got the local paper at, at home, the Shropshire Star. Um, uh, so, so when there was a copy of the Guardian, I would leaf through, and you'd quite often happen across an obituary for an actor that had been in Doctor Who, and uh, maybe that that instilled something in me to, you know, make sure I I would have a bash at doing those one day. Um, so. Look, I think it's 2-1 to me, Charles Norton, uh, as we go into episode four. Uh, that all went a bit round the houses, didn't I? Oh, I would also like to say, last episode I mentioned that I thought Ace's dialogue sometimes gave the impression it was written by uh, men who'd never touched a bra. And I didn't mean by that uh, men who'd never touched a bra because they don't particularly want to. Uh, there was there was no, no inference of that at all. Uh, it's more men who'd never touched a bra who'd very much like to touch a bra, but because they don't understand how women work or speak, have not had the opportunity. That, that was what I was implying. Um, uh, uh, <laughs> so uh, anyway, let's leave that there. Um, and I'm going to go... Uh, uh, to bed, I think. Am I? I don't know. You don't need to know what I get up to after the music has played. But I am going to end this one that has been all around the houses and uh, quite a long way down memory lane. Uh, I hope that's been okay for you. Uh, I, yeah, well, when I first watched this, it was a sad time in a sad place. But um, just goes to show how things can change. If you were uh, with, well, well, you know, with the, with, the, with the passage of time and a little bit of experience and a little bit of perspective. All right. Cheerio. Well, thank you very much for listening to Happy Times and Places, which is presented by me, Toby Haydock. My special guest this time around is Charles Norton, who's far too sensible to be on any forms of social media, which is why he's got the time to find out which cables we used on which episodes of Doctor Who. I'm grateful to him and to the patrons who make these podcasts possible, and they include Stephen Moffat, Ruben Herfindahl, Lee Jin Henderson, Reese Williams, Jelly Tussle, Peter the Speaker, James Parsons, Tim Smith, Ronin, DC. Don't know your full or real names, guys, but you can address that in the patron messages if you want to fill me in. If not, you will remain under those monikers. Still very grateful to you, even though I don't know what you're actually called. Philip Stubley, Robert Jewell, not that one, Mark Findlay-Smith, Damien Timmer, Ian Moore, Leanne Potts, Nick Salmond, Erica Lear, Sheila Moore, Jason Taken, Christopher Newman, and Pete Lambert. The music is by Dave Gates, the artwork by Dylan Patterson. Having your name mentioned on the credits is one of the perks that you get if you go to www. Yeah, I don't think those three W's are necessary anymore. Have you ever been to the internet? Uh, what? Patreon.com forward slash Toby Haydoke, where for as little as £3 a month, you get all sorts of treats, including, yes, having your name read on the credits, uh, but also uh, getting bonus releases, advanced releases, exclusive releases, and all sorts of other things. Well, not that many other things. I mean, there's no physical contact or you know, back rubs or sweets or anything like that. There's badges if you go up the tiers because £3 a month is the lowest tier. You get all the words for that. You get all the, the I was going to say creativity, but that's stretching it a bit. But all of the 
all of the podcasts and everything, all of the content. That's a horrible phrase. Uh, I've, I've written some content today. Ugh, are you a robot? Um, but you get all of that at the lowest tier. There's nothing denied to anybody. But you get your name read out on the credits more often the higher up the tiers you go. You get badges. Um, there are other things that actually nobody's bothered claiming because either they're not that good or that's not really what it's about. It's about people who produce stuff um, giving you the option to support it financially if you want to. can totally understand if you don't want to because stuff's free these days and that's part of the deal. I'm glad that you're just listening to it, whatever you're doing. Um, but also um, because the cost of living has skyrocketed. I saw some peanuts in the shop the other day that I remember getting uh, in lockdown for £2. I think they're on a little bit of a little bit of a, a discount there but they were two pounds uh, and I saw them today and they were three pounds 15 which they were nowhere near when they were not you know even on, on full price uh, in lockdown now I, I know that peanuts I mean they're a good source of energy I think if you set there used to be a thing when we were a kid if you set fire to a peanut it was that a thing let's not get into peanuts right now don't start using peanuts as fuel way too expensive they've skyrocketed anyway my point is I know everybody's a bit skint if this gives you some sort of form of entertainment or even diversion or, or then i'm extremely flattered that you've chosen to spend your hour walking the dog cleaning the kitchen torturing your prisoner with me in your ears uh but the patron thing is there if uh, you're so inclined or capable um it may be that uh, you don't want to sign up to a monthly thing and have that sort of commitment but do occasionally you want to throw a few pennies into my hat in which case you can go to ko-fi.com forward slash toby hayduck and believe me this is as embarrassing for me to do as it is probably cringeworthy for you to hear but it's uh, it's the reality of these things and uh, doing it at the end here and doing the patron thing means your podcast because a lot of you could have stopped listening by now and if you have i can say anything you like about you you green-faced goon uh, because you're not listening all the people listening here have no trace of green on their faces and are not remotely goon-like there's not a there's, there's not a scintilla of seeker in you um oh no they were good goons though i meant bad goons let's not get into what sort of goons i meant and i'm not going to say all goons are the same um so listen um <laughs> uh what so right this is the problem um what was i saying so yes no yes what this post credits um uh, you know soliciting if it's what it is isn't it soliciting you, it, although i suppose i've given you your pleasure now i'm just <laughs> so so it's a bad way normally i think if you solicit you take the money first this is why let's not get into let's not get that metaphor any further what i'm saying is doing this now i i think it is faintly embarrassing but it does mean that I don't have to interrupt the podcast with ad or even begin the podcast with adverts, uh, which I know occur in a lot of other podcasts. And uh, I have kept these advert free um, just because uh, I prefer it that way on a on a purely just in, in the dissemination of content and how I like it to be. I'd, I'd like to say it's a point of principle, um, I, but it's it's probably just more that I used to watch the BBC bbc more and i didn't like having to edit adverts out of itv programs so i'd love to say it was some great moral stance against capitalism but um it's not it's just 
it's just I, I, I prefer listening to podcasts without adverts, so I'm going to do one without adverts too. Um, which, but of course, uh, yes, that great moral stance then goes. But please, can you give me some money? Um, so it's all it's all a compromise, isn't it? Anyway, that was a very long way of going. There are ways of contributing financially to this podcast if you want to, but of course, I have to couch it in a very apologetic middle class way of going. But I'm just not terribly important. I don't really like doing it, but I don't dislike doing it enough to to not do it. So there, I've done it, but I've done it in a really torturous and roundabout way. Anyway, should we leave? Yeah, I think you get the message. That was longer than the blooming podcast. Um, okay, let's keep this bit brief. I'm on Twitter at Toby Haydoke. So are these podcasts at Haydoke Podcasts, and come to my comedy club, Excess Malarkey, which is in Manchester every Tuesday at eight pm, and that has its own Twitter feed at Excess Malarkey. <laughs> You see, this is where I should have done the all the stuff about my grand, my grand. We used to call him Grand Pop, not Granddad, because we had. I think I think my dad's parents were Gran and Granddad, but as I say, they kind of dropped us. Um, they yeah, they were they were they were slightly more well to do than my mum's side of the family. So of course they had standards, which meant that the grandchildren essentially got disowned when their son buggered off. Um, but my my Gran, he was he was Grand Pop. Nan and Nan and Grandpop, Nan and Grandpop. You don't get Grandpops anymore, do you? You get Nans, Nans. You hear more of. There, were, there weren't many Nans. Um, most people had gr- Grannies and Granddads. Oh, is he? he was, I think Dad's dad might have been Grandpa. It's quite a uh, uh, yeah. There's there's quite a there are lots of pulls in different directions with my uh, my my parents. Different sides of the families. No, no sort of schisms in that way because we're not really like that but um but uh, apart from the the major one of when my parents split up anyway let's not get into that the point is he was called he was called grandpop yeah grandpop uh, and he looked a bit like he looked not unlike sergeant arnold from the web of fear um there was i think there was a certain men who'd you know who'd been um in the army who looked a certain way who had that sort of their hair their hair sort of combed in a certain way and he had those he had that quite he had one of those sort of square combs that that sort of put you you know that you used to have those at school as well and and, and i and i think some kind of did that was it whether it was product or whether it was just whether it was just an accumulation of flatness i don't know but it was combed in a certain way and he had them and he had the mustache he had well, he was white haired by the time that uh, uh i was around uh, but yeah, he's yeah that 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 shot of Jack Woolgar as Sergeant Arnold on the cover of uh, of the Web of Fear is not unlike my grandpop. Anyway, I think you've heard quite enough about my family uh, and this podcast for a twenty-four minute episode of Doctor Who has gone on for an hour and ten minutes. Um, I'm sure these podcasts were designed that I could just sort of rattle them off very quickly, and uh, they're a monster of my own creation. Oh well.